For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Jeff Fedoten with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Podcast Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in KC and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, Former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valerio and I will talk about Howard Mudd and uh, a former coach of his um, who's unfortunately been hospitalized. But first, we have a special guest. Joe pulled a lot of strings to get this guest. Jen Valerio, we're very happy to have you on the show, Joe's, Joe's wife. Happy to be here. Yeah, so we yeah, have to pull some strings. I uh, had to get into the calendar and see if her availability was. So had to didn't have to walk too far, fortunately. So here here we are. The other, as we like to call ourselves, when Joe Montana came to Kansas City, the uh, they were the other Joe and Jennifer. We were the original Joe and, and, and that's, Jennifer. That's exactly why Jen, it's, it's so cool to have you on because I thought this would be a neat thing. We we both thought it'd be a neat thing to have the perspective of. The Chiefs' wives. Um, and so talk about that. What, what was it like? Did you guys have kind of fun uh, give and take with uh, the Montanas, considering they were also your namesake? It was a lot of fun. It was, it was quite a festive environment in Kansas City when they came to town and started playing for the Chiefs. Um, it just elevated everything a notch, and it happened to be the year, I think, that we were headed to Japan. Mm -hmm. So we got to not only travel out of the country, which was already exciting, but also do so with Joe Montana and his wife Jennifer and Marcus Allen and his wife, wife Catherine. So it was, it was an exciting time to... Um, to get to be part of that organization. And they, and their wives, I mean, the one thing that Lamar Hunt always had done is always brought in families, you mm -hmm. know, a significant others, spouses, girlfriends, uh, of players, families, moms, dads, like you name it. They were top shelf as far as really bringing in the, the family and the extended family. He was one of the nicest people that I ever met, most down-to-earth people that I ever met. And he really went out of his way to make the wives and families feel welcome. They used to host us every year for one of the games, and we would go to his suite in Arrowhead Stadium, which was always a lot of fun. And I, they were just so gracious. We were, I feel very lucky to have had an owner like him because he really set the bar high for um, just welcoming people in. And he didn't care whether you were Joe Montana's wife or whether you were the wife of the brand new rookie um, just coming in. He was equally kind to everybody, equally welcoming to everybody. That was one of my favorite traditions each year, getting to go to that suite for, uh, I was usually midway through the season and um, just a nice celebration. It was, it was fun to be part of. Yeah. And Lamar, you still, you know, people would always say to him, you know, God, you know, Lamar, you're, you're, you're wasting an opportunity to have big sponsors and celebrities and 
you know, other people that could maybe add to, you know, sort of the business pursuits of the chiefs and, and entertaining, you know, uh, people who were donors or what, you know, whatever they were business partners. And, and he, you know, he always, did, and he always did it in, in the cold weather, which was great, right. To get the families out of the cold weather. And he and Norma would have everybody in there and, and it was worth it for him. It was worth him for him to sacrifice sort of the business pursuits of it the, to get them to know them like in by name and to talk to them about it. It's really cool. You know, that that's so interesting what you said about Lamar Hunt, because that's kind of what everybody that's echoes kind of everyone's sentiment. This, this is a guy who's a billionaire, but more down to earth. I was uh, reading, going through the uh, uh, introduction by Daron Cherry of, of Chief's book that I'm editing under things uh, Chief's fans should know and do before they die. And he said that before some game, he was actually the guy getting the baggage out of the bus. Like he, he, was, he was wearing like a suit. I mean, that's the type of guy he was, so. Yeah, taking jogs around the stadium, testing people's barbecue at their tailgates. <laughs> Crazy. And I, and I think one of the things I know Jen was really involved with was what, what um, you know, what the families were doing from a charity's perspective, right? And it was a chance, like, you know, the players all had things that they were doing and some charitable pursuits and things. But the one thing that the Hunts always did was extending that um, out to the families and, and more specifically the spouses and the wives of the players. And I know Jen was really actively involved with what they were doing from that perspective, especially since she was in the community teaching as an educator and, you know, really pulling them in. I know Jen had some great experiences with that. I did. I, I think some of my favorite memories were from the annual canned food drive that we would have. Uh, by the time Joe was maybe two years into his time in Kansas City, they actually asked me to head that up, and I was very enthusiastic about taking that on. So we got to work with local organizations and collect cans at the different gates around the stadium. And I actually have a funny jo uh, Joe and Jennifer Montana story for you. <laughs> The way that it worked, we would wear our husband's jerseys and stand at each of the gates. And of course, the Kansas City fans were terrific about bringing in canned food and non-perishable things left with this big pile of things to donate to um, local food pantries. But the year that Jennifer Montana got there, she was wearing Joe's jersey, Joe Montana's jersey, and standing at one of the gates and somebody walked by and said, oh, I'd, you know, I'd give you, I don't remember what she sold it for, I'd give you X amount of dollars for the jersey on your back. And she haggled with him and got that jersey price up fairly high and <laughs> sold the jersey off of her back and donated that money to the canned food drive that we were running, which was awesome from our perspective. I think it threw the uh, poor Alan Wright, poor the equipment manager at the time, was saying, oh, please don't sell the jerseys. Those are game jerseys. Please, please take this away. But it was a great day. It was a really funny story. There were some guidelines the next year. No selling the jerseys you're wearing. But no selling the jerseys. Game jerseys off your back. Thing. That, that's a great story. Jen, I was wondering how it worked um, for the, the games. I assume that you, you got uh, tickets to go to all the Chiefs games. And did you always, did they always place you next to a certain, um, like, Chiefs player's wife or girlfriend where you always sit next to the same person? And what were, it was a road game, what were, like, were the opponents aware of who you were and do you ever hear things from the opposing fans? Oh, God. <laughs> yes, that definitely happened. Uh, in Arrowhead, 
we typically would sit, I think it was around the 30, maybe 35 yard line. So great seats down on that 35 yard line section. Yeah, lower and level. Lower, lower level, level yeah. which is Lamar, uh, again, just another testament to how classy he was because when we went to away games, I have sat all the way up in the far reaches of stadiums because um, other teams are not always so generous about where they stick players' families. Um, but in Arrowhead Stadium, there was a section that was dedicated towards to um, Chiefs family members and friends, and we would all sit together, but it was bordered by uh, other tickets. And sometimes you would hear people, you know, saying terrible things. Often it was kickers or it was sort of high profile players whose, whose mistakes were a little bit more obvious and, and would get called out by the officials or get announced over the PA system. And they would say some terrible things and you'd look over and there would be the wife of, you know, Lynn Elliott, or there would be the wife yeah, of- Yeah, I remember with um, one time, we had Louie on the show, oh, Louie yes. Aguiar, fantastic friends with her parents. And they were always so gracious and kind and they would catch up with Jen whenever they would come into town. I remember you sitting with the Aguiars one time and telling me after a game some oh, choice things that people had said that it's so hard yeah. and, and it's it's even worse i think as a wife you just sort of take it in stride although some people didn't i did hear some wives talk back occasionally to some of the fans <laughs> which was all the more entertaining frankly yeah. um but the Aguiars were so classy and humble and you know, sitting there and listening to people call i guess louis may, may yeah, have had a rough day a that day yeah, missed pinning somebody down, you know, in the, in, in the, you know, down by the end zone with, with a, you know, a sky high pun. It didn't go his way. And, you know, people can be, it even our own brutal. fans could have been brutal at times. I have to say, though, coming from yeah. Philadelphia, th there really is no better fan base than the, than the crew in Kansas City. And they were overall very kind and very gracious. I remember going up to the playoff game in Buffalo. And that was not a case where the players' wives got good seats. We ended up in basically the front row of the stadium, which sounds like a great seat, except you can't see over the team that's in front. You, you really can't see much of anything. The gentleman behind me was a huge Bills fan, dressed head to toe in Hunter's camouflage. It was the dead of winter, had a beer in each hand. And every time the Bills would do something good, he would stand up and both of his beers would waterfall down the back of my neck. So it's the coldest I've ever been. <laughs> so, the most hostile environment I've ever been in. And this is a Philadelphia native talking about hostility. So being a Chiefs wife <laughs> in Buffalo for the AFC championship was that? Oh, God, yeah, that was a tough game anyway. That was, that was a brutal. Yeah. I think there was an inch of slush on the ground where our seats were, probably just for our seats. But... I warned everybody, I, and Jen took the warning. Jen and her dad took the warning. My family did not. I warned everybody. I said, look, guys, I know how proud you are to be a Chiefs fan and how proud you, know, you are to be you know, family and come into the game, and it's a big game. I said, please don't wear any Chiefs stuff. I was just like, please. You know, I, I know you're there. I'll be looking for you. I know where you're sitting, but dear Lord, please don't wear any Chiefs my brothers and my cousin just decided not to listen. And I, it made the whole section, it made it brutal for the whole section of Chiefs fans that were in there. So. This was the era of <laughs> Zuba's pants, which, you know, was always quite a fashion statement. But oh, I had, I had Zuba's pants, for sure. Had, and, and Chiefs colors are some, some glaring Zuba's pants. So <laughs> I think back then the Jones store was also selling Chiefs high top sneakers that were yellow, red, and white. So Joe's, Joe's family went to the Buffalo Bills game in 
<laughs> in Zubas. So about as... Uh, and stadium, and big chief stadium coats. Of course, yes. About as loud and proud and, uh, and yellow and red as you can possibly yeah, be. So I, I was incognito. <laughs> didn't, didn't save me. Um, didn't save me much, but uh, definitely a wild environment. I much preferred Arrowhead. Still my favorite place to watch a football game. The rest of the Valerio crowd, obviously, the rest of the Valerio family obviously stood out. Uh, Jen, were you in it? Speaking of going to games in which Joe played, were you in attendance for um, both the touchdown pass that he caught against the 49ers when it was Montana versus Young and also his touchdown on Monday Night Football uh, against the Broncos? I was in attendance um, the, for the games that were in Arrowhead Stadium. I was teaching at the time, so it was really hard for me to go to away games. Mm -hmm. Typically, and that was true for a lot of wives, especially the ones who worked, uh, we would all get together and watch the game. And that Denver Bronco game, is uh, that the, the Monday, night. Monday night game? I turned that game off three times because I couldn't <laughs> watch it anymore. It was a time when Elway was really well known for, we'd be winning by 21 and the next thing you'd know, 22 points would get scored. Elway was tough to watch as an opponent. So I turned the game off, walked out of the room three different yeah. times during that game, but I was in the room <laughs> and paying attention when Joe, very nerve wracking because I knew that play was in the game. And I, I always knew when it was potential yeah. day for him to score. And I think Joe's parents were there parents the day there, he yeah. scored the first time. And I remember oh, the cool. conversation in the car ride over. I don't think his mom fully understood what, what no, the- No, she loved football, but she wasn't, a, she was, you know, she loved the game, and but she didn't, wasn't a technical football fan. She was not a technical <laughs> football fan. So I think she thought the team would score a touchdown. She didn't actually understand that they were going to pass the ball to Joe, because I don't think she'd ever seen that happen. Well, I mean, I hadn't touched a football Little since league. I was in third grade, so no. <laughs> But a surprise so was, was understandable, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> let's, be, let's be honest, too. When, when Jen could sneak away from school, whether it was a break or something, she was a warm weather, you know, she liked the warm weather games. I remember a San Diego trip yes. uh, in the winter. I remember uh, a Houston trip for that Houston. Remember that mm -hmm. Houston 1993 unbelievable game? Uh, you know, probably one of my favorite memories. Keith Cash, right. Keep yeah, cash throwing at Buddy Ryan's head. So, uh, I remember a Houston trip. With yeah, that, that was, game, that but. was brutal. But I did pick, I, I would generally pick each year, maybe one or two games to go to uh, based on my school schedule and based on the Chiefs schedule. It's different for wives. We don't fly on the plane with them. So getting, making commercial arrangements to get in and out of town, it would end up being sort of a four day weekend instead of just a quick in and out like the team did. So yeah. I would pick the warm places that, Except for Japan. We did get to go to Japan together, which was really, really fun. Did, did they let you on the, the few road trips that you were able to attend, did they let uh, you uh, stay in the same room with Joe or did they have like a strict rule? So you also had to do your own lodging. I had well. to do my own hotel arrangements. And typically a couple of wives would get together and we'd all go and, and do some sightseeing while we were there. So um, I had people to stay with. It just wasn't Joe. Did you did you have a certain like kind of group of wives that you kind of went to the, that you usually stayed with or uh, for those? You games? know what I did. There was a group of us who, uh, because Joe was an offensive lineman, a lot of my friends, the, the wives that I was friends with, were also offensive linemen's wives, just because they spent so much time together. Uh, we had a crazy thing happen where Matt Blunden from my high school. 
Um, I grew up, I was really good friends with his sister. So I, I knew the Blendons very well. And Matt came in as a backup quarterback that expanded our circle to include, yeah. you know, backs yeah. and backup quarterbacks. And, and I guess Keith Cash sort of fell into that Keith. offensive lineman category too. He was yeah. a tight end. So yeah. And um, we had a bowling crew that we went, we yeah. used to go bowling with on, on Monday nights on our, cause we were off on Tuesdays. So, you know, you could either sleep in a little bit and then go to treatment or whatever late on Tuesdays or get your lift in. So Monday night was kind of a night to unwind a little bit and go out and do some things together socially. And I remember we, we had a bowling crew for a couple of years. We would go bowling every Monday night. Keith Cash, yeah. his wife, Eric Anderson, Eric Anderson. Jennifer Bartram, I'm sorry, Mike Bartram. Mike I think of the wives first. Mm -hmm. um, and the Blundins yeah. and Lindsay Knapp and his wife, Sarah, and Tim Grunhard and yeah. um, uh, yeah. Dave Zott, just all the, that crew was folks that were about our age. There were some people who had come in earlier and more established veterans. Um, John Alt's wife, Carolyn, was great and helped show people the ropes and was really, um, but she had young kids at the time. So she was sort of tied up in um, taking care of kids and things like that. And we were all recently married, um, kind of a younger group who hadn't had kids yet. Uh, speaking of Chiefs uh, linemen, Joe, talk a little bit how, about Howard Mudd. He had the uh, unfortunate accident recently. Uh, he's now in the hospital in critical care. Um, he, he was a great offensive lineman coach to you for the Chiefs, also memorable for the great Peyton Manning teams with the, uh, the Colts coach them. Yeah, I, I, my heart goes out to Howard and his family, and, and I'm wishing him a speedy recovery. And, and um, you know, I know he was a big motorcycle enthusiast, and, you know, that was something that was always a passion of his. And um, I was really saddened to hear that, you know, he was in that accident and, and was not faring as well, you know, as we had all hoped uh, when we got the news. But, you know, Howard, Howard was such a caring guy. Well, number one, like you mentioned, Jeff, great players on the all-decade team from the 60s three-time Pro Bowler, I believe, right? If I got my stats right on Howard. Um, probably the most cerebral coach uh, I've ever uh, had. You know, having, having had two unbelievable, three unbelievable line coaches, right? One in Hall of Famer, Art Shell, mm -hmm. Alex Gibbs, who we've talked about before on the show, and then you go to Howard. I mean, they were all different in their own way. Uh, Howard was, um, you know, Alex and, and Art were very tactical, you know, offensive line coaches. Howard was very um, cerebral and uh, technique oriented and you know he and and Jim McNally who was longtime coach of the Bengals like they they kind of invented a whole offensive line style around you know sort of the pounding of the feet the use of your instep um, as sort of your power base um, and they used to have uh, this group called the, the the mushroom offensive line camps and people like what the heck mushroom and, and, and Howard would always you know what and you keep them in the dark um, so <laughs> that was always his his uh, code word for offensive linemen we were mushrooms and, and he just was a he's a great teacher and, and like I said a very cerebral coach who made you really think about the game um, and you know coming in as a rookie you know from Penn with having the development that I needed to do uh, I couldn't have asked for a better coach uh, my first out of the gate to help me make the transition. My one funny Howard story is he took us golfing, and I never really golfed much in my life, Jeff. I played a little chip and putt here and there when I was in high school, never played in college. And I remember he took us golfing, and um, he was driving down the fairway, and I let one rip, and it went right through the golf cart, right through, right past him out the back of the golf cart. 
And he was like, Joe, if you ever do that again, you will never see the light of the field. And I was like, sorry, but you know, he shook it off though, man. It didn't phase him at all. I mean, that thing missed him. I mean, I drove this thing in a line drive like a fairway would and it went right through the cart and it went whizzed right by his ear. It probably would have, you know, really done some damage had it hit him. He shrugged it right off. That was so Howard. And he would always call Jen, you know, Mrs. Valerio. He was very formal. He was very formal. I, I felt like I had to be on my best behavior near, near Howard because he was always very formal and polite to me. And I know that Joe had a lot of respect for him. Joe, what, what kind of, like, Coach, you know, you, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the all-decade team and stuff because he, he was a superior player, too, in a, uh, addition to being a great coach. Real quick here as we wrap up, what, what made him such a special coach? Was it just he, he just knew the technique so well? or? Yeah, it was definitely a combination of him helping you understand the game cerebrally, you know, to, to be able to really know what was inside the head of the defender that you were going against. He was a real student of film and watching tendencies and techniques of the players you were going against. So he really taught you how to get into the head of the other player. And he also gave you the tools and the technique to be successful. Um, you know, especially in, the, in that zone blocking scheme that we did back in the early 90s, you know, with Christian Okoye and Barry Word, Howard was perfect for that smash mouth, you know, get, get in your face up front blocking scheme. And, and I, he really, you know, I think that's why a lot of those running backs did so well. And obviously he was with Marty and Coach Schottenheimer in Cleveland during those Ernest Biner years as well. And he had some great offensive lines in Cleveland as well. It, it's amazing, you know, Joe, uh, offensive line coaches are usually a little bit more anonymous. Um, so the ones who are the most famous, McNally, Gibbs, Howard Mudd, those are, I'm a huge football guy. And those are some of the only ones I can name. You actually got to play with under all these guys. Amazing, right? Amazing. I got a chance to experience that. Yeah, it was very, very lucky to have the coaches that I had um, and that Marty surrounded himself with. He always went after the best. Just like Art Shell said, you know, lifelong Raider, right? Who was more of a Raider than Art Shell, right? He was the head coach of the Raiders. He Hall of Famer with the Raiders, blah, 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 with everything with the Raiders. And he joined us and Marty talked him into coming and Carl Peterson. And then what did, what did Art say the first day he got there? If you can't beat him, join him. And like that was that's the kind of play the, the coaches that player uh, the kind of coaches that Marty surrounded himself with. It's pretty amazing, really is. Well, listen, our our thoughts, our prayers are with Howard Mudd and his family. Um, and Jed, thank you so much uh, uh, for joining us. We're we're gonna have to have you back, uh, right, Joe? Is she's she's definitely, back? definitely. More, there's a lot more stories in there uh, that <laughs> she'll want to share with us and give her thoughts on it, Jen used to teach a class called Football 101. And um, she did it, she had done it for businesses. She used to do it at local sports bars. She has done it for youth clubs. And uh, so she really knows football, so. It was Football 101 for women, I should say, which sounds very sexist when I say it now, but <laughs> women do not get the opportunity to play football. So often they're learning, learning, learn very quickly that asking questions during games makes you very unpopular if you're, asking a lot of questions as you're sitting there and you're sitting with family trying to actually enjoy the game, that's not a great time to ask questions. So I used to teach a class specifically for women and a lot of times I'd get um, moms of sons who were playing in little league football or I would get women who just wanted to know more about the game but didn't 
want to ask it in an environment where they, you know, might be met with, don't ask me that now, or I'm trying to watch the game. So we would sit and we would do a class for about an hour before Monday night football in, in some of the local sports bars. And then we'd watch the Monday night football game together. And that was an opportunity for people to ask questions. What are the, what does that call mean? What does it mean when they get called for holding? What does it mean when somebody was offside? I'm sorry, I'm naming all the ones that are related to the offensive yeah, of line. Can tell <laughs> the game I always watch, but uh, I did that locally here and then also got to do it. It was very interesting. A group of um, businessmen from an international company came in and they were in town for the Super Bowl. So I went down to Baltimore and part of their weekend of workshops was to come to this Football 101. So it was not just for women. It was also for people from outside of the United States who also don't have an opportunity to learn the rules of the game. And we did that little pre-session beforehand and then sat and watched the Super Bowl together at the ESPN zone in Baltimore and they could ask questions as it went on and it was just it was fascinating because I learned something too I learned about the different rules that are uh, in place for rugby and people could talk to me about the sports that they liked watching at home and Australian rules football which is slightly different as well so I, I, I felt like I learned as much as they did but it was it was exciting and it was a fun um, way to stay in touch with football through the years. Yeah. I still incorporate it into my class whenever I can. I think it's really engaging for students. Yeah. She used to do NFL geography and chief geography in her classroom when she was teaching. And um, Jen, I forgot about yeah, that. Jen, Jen had uh, Channel 9 had come in, KNBC had come in to do an, uh, like a, a feature on um, her classroom and what she was teaching in the classroom in the holidays. They did some holiday uh, fun with her classroom. So her students got to experience a lot of uh, what she was experiencing being a part of the Chiefs family, too. That, that's so cool. And, and that, she's very that, humble, too. Jeff, she's very humble. Um, she won't tell you this. So I'll tell you, student of the game, for sure. So cool. And also cool to just learn more about uh, the Chiefs family, because that's one of the things that makes uh, Chiefs Kingdom specials. You talked about uh, Lamar Hunt and how close he was to everybody on the team and how kind. And now we've gotten to know a little bit how kind of the family works uh, with, with the players who uh, of, the, of the Chiefs players. Yeah, it was a family affair for sure. It was. Even the outreach opportunities that they had, if they would enlist Joe to go to something to go and speak somewhere or um, there were a few times where it was auctioned off to get to go to go have dinner with a chief and Joe was always volunteering for those. So sometimes I would get to come along and, and we met a lot of nice people through those yeah. opportunities as well. It would be a way yeah. of raising money for a local charity. Um, it's also what put us in contact with the local March of Dimes chapter. We were able to, um, I served on the board there and we did a lot of volunteering work mm -hmm. in Kansas City. And ironically, it was before we had our children who ended up being preemies, which was what the mission of the March of Dimes was all about. So we had already laid the groundwork for being involved with the March of Dimes before we gave birth to three babies who ended up being an yeah. ambassador family for the March of Dimes here in Philadelphia. Uh, one of the nicest things about our involvement in that organization is when the girls were maybe eight or nine years old, we got to come back and speak at the national meeting in Kansas City. So mm -hmm. we got to bring the girls back and show them all of our old stomping grounds and the places that we loved in Kansas City and reconnect with the folks on the March of Dimes board out in KC where we had been mm -hmm. involved while Joe was playing. Wow. Talk, talk about that uh, community service, that philanthropy yeah. coming kind of full circle. That, that's really crazy. Yeah. 
that was very, we certainly, we did it with an eye towards helping premature babies in general, never thinking it would be our own kids who right. would benefit from it. But you know what, it really um, ended up being a partnership that has spanned 20 some years. And our daughters now, um, one is in med school, hoping to be a neonatologist, which directly ties to the March of Dimes. The other is NICU nurse, uh, which take, taking care of preemies every day. And the third daughter, um, applying to law schools because she wants to get involved in healthcare law uh, with that same goal in mind. So at that, all of that really started with our involvement in the group in Kansas City. Uh, it's crazy yeah. how much we can trace back there. That, that's what that's what makes the, uh, the another thing that makes the Chiefs so special and unique is just how community oriented uh, that that whole franchise is. Well, if you enjoy this show please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.